Welcome back to another episode of Legally Unfiltered. Folks, my name is Richard Sprinkle. I'm here with attorney at law Franz Borghardt, and we are talking about legal issues in the news and issues that affect your life. And tonight we're talking about one that's affected many, many lives. Everybody's familiar with the Me Too movement. Everybody's familiar with all of the sexual allegations that have come out against public figures recently. And by now, most of you, if not all of you, have heard that the Supreme Court nominee, Judge Brett Kavanaugh, is in that number. Folks, what do you do when an individual is accused of rape or sexual assault in an event that happened decades ago? In this case, I want to say it's 30 years ago. He was in high school. He was in high school. He was uh, 17 years old, if I remember correctly. So let's set the stage. You have a, a individual that has been nominated for the Supreme Court. He is he is going through the, the senatorial hearings, um, an accuser. And I'm going to use Richard uh, in, in no disrespect to, to rape victims and no disrespect to people accused of raping. I'm going to use the phrase accused and accuser. And I'm doing that because we're not in a criminal forum. Okay. In a criminal form, we classify individuals that have been raped as victims and the accused as defendants. Well, here no one's been indicted. Right. Nobody's this been is, charged. This is this is a a a public figure that is accused of having attempting attempted to rape somebody at a party while in high school. Now this is on all accounts a latent reporting. And and let's start there. Okay, what makes these cases, these types of cases difficult, whether in the criminal justice system, in the court of public opinion or otherwise, is latent reporting means a lot of different things. You have a lot of components. Number one, the fact that the the accuser reports something latent, and by the way, that's just a, a fancy way of saying it happened a long time ago. The fact that an accuser reports something as as a, a sexual assault that happened a long time ago doesn't necessarily mean they're lying. No. The fact that somebody reports something at an inopportune time for the accused, however, does provide the accused an arguable defense to the most fundamental question to these kind of allegations, which is why would anyone ever make this sort of thing up? In this instance, you have someone in a hot potato political situation. And and look, we don't know what happened because it's been a latent reporting. Physical evidence is not really on the table. OK, so what are you left with? You're left with trying to find and this is any latent sexual assault reporting case. You're you're left with trying to narrow down the time frame. To when did this happen? And that's that can be easy sometimes. You may have a, a moment in time that you can, you know, a high school graduation party, um, a party. And, and, and uh, you know, in Hollywood, they may have had some premiere party. You got to narrow it down to a window of time. And then you got to find witnesses that that can confirm or correct, um, you know, what happened or what didn't happen. Now, in this case, the accuser wants an FBI investigation before she will testify. That is from her lawyer. Now, that's significant, okay? And Un- that, that news, just for our listeners, that news broke while we were recording this. So let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about the the landscape. And, and look, this episode is about these cases being so difficult and why they're difficult. But we're doing it in the context of, context of Kavanaugh. First and foremost... His allegation, 
his accused crime, the, the crime of attempted rape, has no statute of limitations in the state of Maryland. And and I believe that that's where we're that's the landscape of where we are. So if he gets on the stand in in a, in a any form under oath, he is offering testimony. Okay. Any form. He Senate is waiving, confirmation hearings. He is, anything. It is it is a waiver of Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, which is by the way the beauty of this is. If he exercises his right against self-incrimination, then everybody will, of course, say he's trying to hide something, and he must have done it because our society believes that anybody that exercises their right against self-incrimination must be guilty of something, which is a total farce. Yes. However, if he testifies, if he testifies, anything and everything he says can be used against him. So that's number one. That's the landscape. Number two, if she testifies, it's under oath. Now, in this case, you've got someone that has had numerous federal jobs that has been vetted by the federal government before, and he's been vetted by the federal government in this analysis and this nomination proceeding. So I think I read he's had something like six FBI background checks up to this point. So, so you know what's really difficult about this? We, we were talking earlier, folks, about b- before we did the, the podcast, we were talking about like Bill Cosby versus this. In cases like Bill Cosby, where apples you, and oranges. Yeah, I mean apples and oranges. But let's talk about it. In cases like Bill Cosby, public figure accused by numerous women of numerous crimes, you don't have an isolated allegation, okay? And whether or not whether or not those those allegations come at differing times and, and are motivated by differing things. In this case, in Cosby, you may have 65 women that are saying he did something wrong. Kavanaugh has, has 65 women that have come forward and said, no, he's he's never acted inappropriate. So, so what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with something that happened when he was a teenager at a party. He's accused of being drunk. She may have been intoxicated. She or admits impaired. to being intoxicated. Okay, so you have two teenagers that are impaired. He's accused of trying to force himself onto her, and I think he was not able to consummate the act because he, in fact, was impaired. Um, that's that's one story. The the story she tells is there was a third person there, Mr. Judge, right, fair who's enough. supposedly the witness, and Mr. Judge jumped on top of the two of them to break it all up. So, so that's the landscape from her perspective. Uh, of her allegation is this is an attempt rape. So the question becomes, well, well, what what evidence do we look at? In any of these cases, what evidence do we look at? In this case, one of the things that's been talked about is, well, you know, she went to a therapist and she talked about the therapist. Well, okay, if you're going to let that Pandora's box open, then you got to compare what she's saying today to what she said then. And that's problematic in this case. Right. And it's problematic because what does inconsistency mean? Well, it can mean a lack of credibility. It can mean that this is a traumatic event and there will be instances in traumatic events where you can't remember certain things. Um, the human brain, when it goes through a true trauma, has a myriad of chemical reactions and a whole bunch of there's there's studies on trauma. So we're not saying that she is being truthful or dishonest. We are not saying that he did or didn't do this. What we want to focus on in this episode and what we're trying to do is focus on why these kind of cases are problematic. Now, another layer of this is if you come out and accuse somebody of, of a crime like this, and I say crime because while we're, we're still not in a criminal form, it is a crime on all accounts. Rape is a crime. Right. 
when you accuse somebody of a crime like this in a political backdrop, backdrop of people who hate Trump, love Trump, people who love Democrats, hate Democrats. Of course, the first thing that happens is character assassination of the accuser. I mean, if you think that it's easy to go through this process as someone who is accusing someone of such a crime, if you go on Twitter for five minutes and scroll through and see what terrible things are being said about this lady, you know, it, it, I would be disinclined to, to, to report this kind of activity. When we went through this before with Justice Clarence Thomas at his confirmation hearings and Anita Hill was the one uh, giving the testimony, we didn't have the Internet. We didn't totally, have. Totally different. It's a whole different ball of wax. Now, admittedly, in the Clarence Thomas hearings, that was about sexual harassment. This is beyond harassment. This is an actual sexual assault slash potential rape that we're talking about. Um, but. Just looking at the two as similar issues with Supreme Court justice nominees, um, this this professor that has made these allegations, um, I've, I've, I will butcher her last name. I think it's Blassie. Um, she she's potentially going to suffer a crucifixion in in the media and on social media. So so her life will be dissected. Anytime oh, she's ever gone to any rally, supported any anything that's contrary to Republicans or Trump, that is all going to be dissected and put on the table. Um, in addition, anything she says under oath is subject to perjury. Um, Congress has the ability, this committee has the ability to subpoena. Um, now she's saying she will only testify if there's an FBI probe. Well, she can't force the FBI to do anything. Yeah. And And by the way, I think the FBI's position in this has been there's no federal crime here. The FBI, and correct me if I'm wrong, the FBI has done numerous, numerous background checks on, on Judge Kavanaugh as it is. And I don't know that if I'm the FBI, I'm going to say, oh, what the heck, let's do another one just for the, you know, just for the fun of it. So what, what you have to do is you have to, once again, you have to analyze what limited data you can get, what limited evidence you can get from both sides. If I'm, if I'm Kavanaugh, I want to be able to, to narrow everything down to, was I even in the place at the time? Do I have an alibi? Do I have some kind of witness that says, wait, this didn't happen? Um, if I'm, if I'm the accuser, I want to find people that will bolster my credibility by supporting that. But look, what you don't have is, again, you don't have physical evidence. You have even 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 reporting to a therapist years later. I don't know how much you can weigh that credibility. And by the way, what she reported to the therapist, you know, how do we track that? How do we, you know, does the therapist take notes? Do they record stuff and all that? So, so look, the, the point is, is people always wonder, you know, especially in the criminal justice system, people always wonder why are these such tough cases? I mean, it's, it's, you have an accuser that's saying he or she did something that should be enough, right? Well, sometimes when all you have is an allegation and an absence of supporting or cooperative evidence, and you have someone on the other end of the table saying, no, you got to look at what the evidentiary threshold is in a, in a, in a criminal proceeding. It's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And the reasonable doubt is 
no. She 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 she's saying something happened, but maybe it didn't. And coupled with the fact that if she is saying that she was impaired or intoxicated, to what degree was she impaired and intoxicated? It cuts both ways, though. If he was impaired and intoxicated and he's saying that didn't happen, well, you got to say, well, wait a minute. Are you now? I don't believe I, I don't I don't believe for for one second. I don't believe for one second she is not. Let me rephrase. I think that she is convinced that it happened. And we have some somewhat empirical evidence of that fact. So, She's taken a lie detector. Right. And according to the lie detector, she is being truthful according to the polygraph. Now, we know that polygraphs aren't admissible in criminal courts. We know they're not 100% reliable. But the thing that we do know from studies that of people that have taken polygraphs is what that machine shows is that person really believes the things they're saying. So let's say she really believes that she was raped. Does that necessarily lend itself to a correlation between whether or not she was actually raped or not. Um, that that's a, an important question in this case. And look, I use lie, I've used lie detectors before to, to show in conjunction with evidence that my client, not only is there evidence that may lend itself to reasonable doubt, but that my client is convinced it in such a way that, that he didn't do the, the alleged crime. So how does this all play out? The way this plays out is now you have an allegation on the table. Uh, State law enforcement can decide whether or not they're going to investigate it or not. And if, in fact, there is no statute of limitations. And by the way, it goes without saying one of the reasons we have statute of limitations for crimes is because after 30, 40 years, it becomes very difficult to reconstruct what happened. Well, further, there's studies that show that people's memories fade over time. Right. Uh, there have been numerous times in car accident cases, uh, any type of case where you ask, you know, what color was the, the co- what color was the car that hit you? It was blue. Well, shows here in the picture that it was red, but you know, okay, we, people don't remember things. So we believe as a society, a lot of people believe that we, we, we re-experience memories through like a film-like rewind and play model. And the fact of the matter is science has shown that we reconstruct memories. That means it's not like pressing play. We reconstruct what happened. And that reconstruction sometimes doesn't fully encapsulate what actually happened. So that's one of the reasons we have the statute of limitations. Now, rule or, or the reason we have statute of limitations for crimes now, that being said, sex offense cases, murder cases are, are particularly heinous crimes, and we have longer statute of limitations, if if any at all. In Maryland, there is no statute of limitations. So the first issue is, is, is he going to be investigated in in the state, I guess, legal system? And whether or not that leads lends itself to anything or leads anywhere remains to be seen. I don't know that the FBI is going to move forward with this or not move forward with this. I think their position is, 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 is when, when certain congressmen or, or senators say, hey, he needs to be investigated by the federal government. What they're saying is they, they need to do a probe and they need to investigate. But in truth, they don't have the authority to to investigate him under any theory of a federal crime. So that being said, now, unless he gets on the stand and perjures himself. So that being said, where what we truly have here is is whether whether analysts like it or not, we have someone that's accusing and we have an accused that is denying the allegation and we are left with a Supreme Court nominee whose whose 
sent to the court is maybe not in question because I think ultimately he's going to get, you know, he's going to get approved. And, you know, what's interesting to me was um, Bill Mayer. I don't know if you watch his, his show at all, Richard, but, you know, he was recently on there saying that this was kind of weak. He said that this makes the Democrats look weak, this allegation. Well, the timing is yeah. really well, and it goes, suspect. Like, like I said, if it if your allegations happen at moments of opportunity, that is that is what you know, what rubs people the wrong way. What rubs people the wrong way is when you have someone that's running for office or you have somebody that's ascending to something, a public figure. And it just feels like it's too opportunistic to report it. Now, look, in the backdrop of all this is the Me Too moment. And the Me Too mo- movement has shown us that, look, these are there are a lot of victims out there that for a lot of good reasons never came forward. Oh, sure. Right. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's understandable. We're not... We're not bashing the movement and but, we're right. not doubting... We're not doubting any of these accusers. It's... I guess what we're really getting at, folks, is the court of public opinion and the criminal justice system and the legal system have two differing standards. In the public opinion, sometimes making the allegation is enough to, 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 to do the damage, whether or not it factually happened or not. Um, the accused gets scrutinized, gets destroyed in the media. Um, the, the accuser can can have their lives destroyed, upheaved. Um, what you're seeing right now is you're having... I think it's fair to say you have a lot of cognitive dissonance is people that are so wrapped up in their political ideology and their internal bias that they can't see beyond either pro-Trump, anti-Trump, pro-conservative, anti-conservative, pro-Democrat, pro-liberal, anti-liberal. I think you have so much cognitive dissonance right now that whatever the truth is doesn't really seem to matter. That all being said, folks, we wanted to do an episode on this because, you know, Leighton Late, latent reporting of sexual assaults. It happens on college campuses. Uh, we plan on doing a Title IX episode in the near future. Um, but this is on the front page of the news. It's in the media right now. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that she's she is demanding an FBI investigation. She's demanding an FBI investigation, and the quote from her attorney says, A full investigation by law enforcement officials will ensure that crucial facts and witnesses in this matter are assessed in a nonpartisan manner, and that the committee, the committee that's voting to uh, confirm the uh, Judge Kavanaugh, the, the committee is fully informed before conducting any hearing or making any decisions. But now the problem with that, Which Franz, makes that completely partisan. That makes it completely partisan, 100% partisan. And the other problem with that is this committee's on a schedule. They're going to vote next week. Mm-hmm. I am pretty sure that the FBI is not going to get an investigation done in under seven days. Well, what it creates is an Arab delay. It creates a, a indirect filibuster. If, if there is a protest to moving forward, which I, again, I, I, you know, you have to do a, You have to do a head count of who, who's voting what, but look, it, at this point, at this point, she's either going to testify before this committee or not. Well, and whether or not she does, the uh, Senator Lindsey Graham has already said they're voting next week, whether she testifies or not. So I, I think the, the you know, we're not going to get into partisan politics here, but I think the Republicans have, have just called any possible bluffs on this at all. Well, and what's interesting is if she doesn't testify and gets confirmed, then there's always going to be that Clarence Thomas air of 
what kind of individual did we just put on the Supreme Court? But that cuts both ways. If she doesn't testify, he's not given his... There is no right to confrontation, by the way. Um, In the criminal system, we have what's called a right to confrontation where you can confront your accusers. That is playing itself out right now in the court of public opinion. It's not playing itself out in in a legal forum. And look, if they don't pursue a criminal charge against him, her civil claims are clearly prescribed. I mean, that's absolutely that that, that's dead. That statute of limitations has run. So look, folks, we're going to keep an eye on this. You're you're we're going to try to get this this podcast out ASAP. Um, It is a very, very, very difficult situation when you have accusers latently reporting um, sexual assaults and, you know, it's tough for them as the as the person accusing. It's tough for the person uh, accused. And, and I say that in from the standpoint, again, of we don't know only two people, maybe more, but only two people in this instance know what really happened. Um, and everybody else is just waiting to get data and facts. And, and this one, it just doesn't look like we're going to have a lot of that. That's about it for this episode of Legally Unfiltered. This is attorney Franz Borkart with attorney Richard Sprinkle. Have a good evening and we'll talk to you soon. The views and opinions expressed in Legally Unfiltered do not constitute legal advice. If you would like legal advice on the topics that we've discussed, send us money. That's right. Go ahead and retain us. Do not, kids, try this at home.